1: This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking, riding in the butt one word at a time.
0: Taylor, you know that I'm involved with a publishing company. We've talked about that on the on the podcast uh, several times, probably, and one we most of our books are released through Kindle Unlimited, Amazon, and Kindle Unlimited, and we don't really have any big series that are released to a wide market. So at the beginning of the year, we decided we were going to do a big series, a 12-book series released to a wide market. But in order to educate ourselves and to educate other people, we decided that we would build a team of people to help us do this. And those those uh, the team includes people from Kobo, um, draft digital Apple, Apple, um, and And other indie publishing type people, and so we have these meetings every month or five weeks for about thirty minutes where we discuss these things. And the series is called opus o p u s x Opus okay. X. As you know, I am prone to forgetfulness. So we have Amazon Echo devices all around the house. Whenever I need to be reminded of something like this call that was today at two o'clock, I'll say, Alexa, remind me at two o'clock about the Opus X call. So you get the notification from the device, but if you're not there, it goes to your phone. It also goes to my wife's phone. How does it know if you're not there? Well, I mean, it it just announces it in, in, in the room where you set the, where you set it, but it also sends it to your phone. Okay. So I'm sitting here, and I get the notification, and when I hear it, I snicker a little bit, but I don't really think much of it, not thinking that my wife is out to lunch with, her, with some girlfriends, and she's going to get this same notification on her phone, and the notification that she got is open sex call at 2 <laughs> o'clock. <laughs> So she's sitting there with a bunch of ladies, and I don't know whether that popped up on her phone and other people saw it or what, but that is crazy.
1: That That's awesome. I love that. I, yeah. Um, God, I wish I could retell that story now as if it was my own. It's a great story.
0: <laughs> All right. And I have no idea how that's going to lead into our Our topic today. And the topic relates back to something that we talked about a few weeks ago. So I'm going to just turn it over to you here.
1: We are going to follow up under the Every Scene Needs a Purpose umbrella. We've done a few shows about that. And this The last one we did was on aimlessness. And to recap for new listeners or those who haven't had a chance to catch that episode yet, um, in, ch- in episode 2011, we raised two common examples of how aimlessness shows up in fiction. And the first is when a character, for example, is on their way somewhere doing something and the author goes through all the steps of laying out them going from A to Z and we get all the description. We're in the character's head and all the plot boxes are ticked, except it's only after the character gets to the end of all this that they even begin to consider why they're doing it in the first place. So we've had all this motion that at that point is just seems purposeless because it's only now while perfect is perfectly still and doing nothing plot related that we enter this long analysis of what they should do next. So that was, that's one way that you often see this sort of aimlessness show up. And the other is when there's some sort of inner conflict going on with the character. And so The characters, like, got some bad news or they're trying to figure something out. And so they go for a walk or they sit or they eat. And they basically do this movement that has nothing to do with moving the story forward. And it's just there to give the character space to think. And so... In both of those instances, we definitely need the inner dialogue and the character introspection. But the whole point of every scene needs a purpose is that when you have scenes or settings that exist entirely as a vehicle for character introspection without serving the overall plot or the story, it has the unintended consequence of making what would otherwise be critical information. It just feels like navel gazing or filler. So that episode was as a brief overview of what the problem was and that episode was, you know, explaining it in more detail and how to fix it. But what you didn't hear was that at one point in that episode, while we were getting towards the end of it, there was a conversation between Steve and I about a scene that he was working on. And he was like, oh, my God, there's this scene I'm working on. I think that's what its problem is. So he asked me if I'd take a look at it, uh, which I did. And the entire scene is too long to include in an episode, but the opening, the first four paragraphs of this scene, I think it provides a really good opportunity to discuss another aspect of this every scene needs a purpose umbrella, and that's as it relates to description. Now, we've talked a lot about description before. It's something we keep coming back to Um, in show, I think it was 206, episode 206, we've talked about the ultimate purpose of description, and that's going to come up a little bit here too. one of those things you've just got to keep going back to because it takes a while to really um, grasp it and and get it in get it instinctual and there's all these different situations and different ways that it shows up so up until now all that's happened is that steve sent me the material and i've read it we've never discussed it this is the first time we're discussing it he has no idea what i think about it he has no idea I have no idea where, you know, how some of it relates to the overall plot. So I have questions. Um, I don't know exactly if I'm right. I have assumptions. Like the the, the things I'm going to say about it, I could be way off because I don't know. And so I could be completely wrong. And if I am, then I'm going to have to walk back some of this as it pertains to this particular opening, this story. But I'm pretty sure that overall, the stuff that we're going to talk about Even if I never change a thing on this, it's still, the underlying analysis is still sound. So Steve, bear with me now. (laughs) Here we go. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the opening four paragraphs. I'm gonna read those to you now and then we're going to discuss, okay? It says, Shez Reggie is a 1,452 square foot cottage that has survived three hurricanes, six owners, and the relentless march of bigger, newer, and more expensive since 1956. Originally built as a winter getaway for Chuck and Brenda Powell, the cottage passed through several hands before I bought it for a song from an old timer who didn't want it torn down and replaced by what he called a damn monstrosity. The house is a boxy structure that was completed before things like floodplains were a part of city planning. That meant it didn't need to be built on a mountain of fill dirt. My home sat sedately at ground level where all of Ilan had been back in the day. Each time one of these old cottages are demolished to make room for a new three-story temple of success, the city loses more of its charm, at least in the way I define charm. Granted, I may be in the minority. I'd had the shingle roof replaced with tin a year ago, and the sound inside the house during rainstorms is magical. Some female guests of Reggie find the sound of rain on a tin roof to be an aphrodisiac, making me one of the few people in Elan who look forward to multi-day tropical storms. Unfortunately, the only sound inside my lonely home tonight was the sound of my pen scratching against a moleskin notebook. I I honestly do not know how you pronounce that word. So those are the four opening paragraphs. And... In and of themselves, I, have, I don't have a lot of complaints. I would cut a few things, reword a few things, kind of patch things together to, um, to, to trim it down. But it ultimately, really, I mean, it, it's, it's not bad. Um, so why are we even discussing this then? So before we start discussing it, there are a few thoughts that you need to know. Um, one is, I'm not sure what chapter this is, but I think it's within the first five chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the first time that Chez Reggie has been mentioned in this story. And in the opening chapter, when Reggie meets his new client, Charles Rudd, he mentally opines on the size of the Rudd estate and uses his own small cottage for comparison. I'm going to make just a little side note here. Um, it's a, it's a daisy picking thing, but because, and it's not the main focus of this, but because we're here and we're starting to talk about description, I'm going to interject this because it's like something that it's, it's a technique, a trick that you guys should know. So based on my own life experience, I'm not sure if a place of nearly 1500 square feet counts as a small cottage. So I've lived in a three bedroom house that clocked in at just 100 square feet more than what Reggie's place is described here. And I've lived in uh, an apartment, a generously sized apartment with two big rooms, very nice kitchen, all that was about 1,100 square feet. So at this point in the story, Reggie's made several references to how small his place is. Um, In the opening chapter, he talks about how Charles Rudd's foyer is larger than his kitchen and his living room combined. And in a separate sequence, he considers knocking out a wall as that would be the only way to have enough space for like a man cave type setup. And the thing is, like every reader brings a piece of themselves to the story, right? And those pieces are going to come with all the baggage and the bias that every individual carries. And so that kind of complicates descriptions like small cottage, and it's going to be relative to that person's experience. So based on my personal experience, um, when I hear something like a small cottage, I'm thinking small, like, you know, maybe 970 square feet, something under 1,000 square feet. So when someone like me, when I'm absorbing Reggie's thoughts on the subject and the size of his cottage, and then I'm finally handed a number like that, my immediate thought is like, What? And now I start giving everything else Reggie says and everything he's ever said this kind of wary side eye because I'm not sure if I trust his judgment anymore, right? Well, every reader is going to be like that with every detail that you provide. Okay. So So let me
0: let me jump in here and just give a little bit more background on this area, this fictional area, and this is all of this in my mind was world building, and so this community where this house is a. 5,000-square-foot house would be considered a small cottage.
1: Okay. So not to, like, I'm going to still keep saying everything that I was going to say, but to add on to that, then those types of things um, need to be established um, maybe earlier. I don't know. Um, But how it's established is kind of situational, right? I can't say, oh, it should be done this way or, oh, it should be done that way, just based on The story that I know it now, I'd probably slip a line like that in um, in the opening sequence where we're already discussing size of places and stuff just so that it doesn't keep coming up multiple times. But the point that I'm saying that I'm bringing up here um, and that's not to negate what you said, because that's completely valid, is that sometimes when it comes to detail, especially if there are value judgments attached and by value judgments i don't mean like good or bad i mean like big or small um fat or thin those types of things vagueness can be good because when you're vague and you avoid specifics if those specifics don't if if those specifics aren't necessary right sometimes specifics are necessary but if they're not necessary avoiding them Allows the reader to put their own spin on it according to what their own expectations or their experience is going to more easily let them believe. So, me, for example, if I'm describing something, I tend to either give the facts like height, weight, distance, size, or I give the value judgment tall, short, fat, small, whatever. It's really rare for me. And I mean, maybe my older material, I hadn't learned this enough yet. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to find out soon if I go back and read the stories. But um, I, nowadays, I don't, I very rarely do I say both. I won't say the person is funny. I'll say they made someone laugh. And I won't say like, he's a large man, unless like this, the size is just ginormously out of expectations. So I won't say he's large and provide the height and girth. I'll do one or the other. I'll, and, and I'll let the reader make their own value judgments with the, with the facts, or I'll provide the value judgment without the facts. So in this particular instance, just because, well, you know, we could go back and change it, but, and and then maybe it won't be as, as wouldn't jump out as much, but I would either refer to Reggie's home as a small cottage or provide the square footage, or like you suggest, give the, give the relativeness so that the reader has that. And it's based on something else other than their own expectations or life experience, and that but in this case like the easiest thing you could do is just take out the square footage unless the scene you unless you really want to establish the fact that a a normal cottage would be 5000 square feet which i'm still struggling to wrap my my head around the word cottage and 5000 square feet but again that's based on my own life experience and I know that there are places in the country in this country where that's like they call a a town a village and me I'm thinking a village is like you know 200 people but maybe for them a village is 10,000 people and it's all about region regionality and dialect and how words are used and stuff and so sometimes even we ourselves if we're really familiar with a certain usage we we don't realize that that's not universal right It's it's just one of those things. And so it was not a criticism. It was just like, hey, you guys, maybe you want to know about this, that um, one trick to avoid tripping readers up on this type of stuff is to separate the two. Don't provide the square footage and call it. Give it the value judgment. Do one or the other. That's all.
0: All right. And I I really like that suggestion and it, it makes a ton of sense. And as you were describing it, I'm like, I can't believe I did that, you know, to both give a value judgment and give the square footage no, because it's super it makes common. no sense to do that. And yeah. I, I, it, in thinking about it, as you're describing it, my preferred way of making the change would be to just call it small and then right. let, let the reader determine what that is.
1: And then another thing you can do, like if, if you need to add more description you can say oh it had one and a half bedrooms and but the other, the second bedroom was more of a closet really and you're not putting square footage to those bedrooms so in the reader's mind it'll be like whatever size they make it right it'll all fit you know the rest of the floor plan was an open open floor plan which let me somehow squeeze in a dining room and a kitchen into the same and a living room in the same small space whatever how you do it um it's still it's still not giving them any numbers right and so it lets the reader make their own imagery. So sometimes well, detail less is more.
0: And to go back to something that we've talked about a few times in the show, everyone who's read the, uh, the, the Monroe series has an image of Monroe, but yeah. you've never described her. Correct. But we yeah. all have our own image of her. So I, I, I think that's where this is coming from, and it makes a great deal of sense.
1: Thank you. Okay. So, side note over. We're back to the overall scene at hand. So... Returning to Reggie, at this point in the story, the details about Reggie's house have already been brought up in the opening sequence through the comparisons to Red's foyer. And in that same sequence, we're also given a sense of what Elan is like together with sort of an inference to the way the older homes are being torn down to give way to the mega mansions. So by the time we reach this descriptive chapter opening, we already know that it's a small cottage where Reggie lives. We already have a sense of where it's located. We have a few other descriptive details through character and motion and inner dialogue. And we also have a brief history of how the place got its Chez Reggie name. So all of that that came prior to this, it all works in context. It doesn't feel extraneous in the moment. And now here we are, five chapters or fewer. What chapter is this actually, Steve?
0: It's chapter four, so you are Chapter four,
1: okay. So chapter four, and there's really not a lot of story separating us from the previous references to his home, and now we're getting more description and house information and another dose of Elan setting information, and it's more or less kind of repeats what's already been brought up. It's raising, I have no idea if the Powells that he bought this house from show up later in the story. Um, But they're named here, and the history of the house is named here and all of that. So the question is, why are we not only hearing about Reggie's cottage again, but why are we getting it in so much detail? And my supposition to this, my assumption, is that the author, in this case Steve, hi Steve, wasn't really sure how to begin this sequence. And rather than just jolt us straight into Reggie, sorting out his thoughts, He's attempting to do what we've talked about, what we're supposed to do, which is provide a sense of time and space and atmosphere and then segue naturally into the action thinking stuff.
0: All Um, right. Now, can I just say that that is outrageous what you said that I didn't I I didn't know how to begin the scene and it was absolutely correct.
1: (laughs) Well, my next note to self was that if that was the case, then A plus for concept, because that's completely sound logic, good storytelling technique. That is exactly what we're supposed to do. The issue is that every scene needs a purpose, and that includes description. So the reading brain intuitively knows that. Like the reading brain is constantly seeking out meaning and patterns, and it wants to close loops. And when we repeatedly come back to these descriptions of Chez Reggie, when Chez Reggie doesn't actually play a pivotal pivotal plot role, I will get this tongue twister out of the way. What we're doing is actually inadvertently foreshadowing. We're basically telling the reader, hey, we keep bringing this up, so pay attention because it's important, and then we don't follow
0: through on it. Well, with that being said, the house does play an important role in the conclusion of the book.
1: That is good to know. See, like I said, I don't actually know a lot of stuff about this story, so I don't know what's critical in this or not. But what I can tell you is that it does not play a critical part to what comes next in this chapter or this scene. (laughs) So in this opening, in particular, the way it reads uh, is as if it's meant to segue into something house slash plot related. So the reading brain, it takes in all this house information and now it's just primed to assume that the reason we're giving all this detail is because it matters to what's about to follow. But then, Instead of segueing into something specifically related to the house, it segues into Reggie writing into his notebook. So, what this essentially means is that everything we just read, everything our brains have been holding on to, like tracking all these details, it's useless. It's purposeless. There's no loop to close. That was it. Open loop and now move on. So, if that description, that detail doesn't have a purpose to What we're reading then and there, it doesn't belong. Now, foreshadowing being the exception. But somehow foreshadowing still has to tie in. But the brain knows that foreshadowing is the exception. So, you get where I'm coming from with this? Now it's expecting something more and it's expecting it soon. So then the question is, well, does that mean that there are instances where we could have gotten prior information about Chez Reggie just like we already have and then gotten it here again and it would be long and I like, mean, yeah absolutely if some sort of action or plot related device were to happen next so like instead of Reggie it, it leading into Reggie sitting at the table scrawling into his notebook it would be like it would directly relate to say like there's intruders come creeping down the hall and so all the interwoven description that would have to be more about doors and walls and creaky floors instead of tin roof. But it would be the the house things would relate now to the scene because something's happening and it relates to the age of the house and it relates to maybe even how many people have owned it before. It's got to tie in somehow like and Reggie hears the creek from across the house or doesn't hear it as the case may be. Right. So to provide all that detail, it has to be relevant to now not just at the end of the story exception being foreshadowing but even foreshadowing somehow has to hit to fit because if you foreshadow too obviously then it's it's like duh come on you know and
0: yeah and well, it wasn't it was not foreshadowing so let me let me ask a quick question and and I think I know the answer but I just want to be 100% certain if I had not mentioned anything about the house earlier, this would still be inappropriate here, right?
1: It would it would be, yes, it would not work in this. I don't want to say inappropriate because that makes it sound like it's bad, but it it doesn't it, it's unnecessary, right? Okay. So like let's go back and look at this opening sequence and see if we can figure out where the scene actually starts, right? So I'm going to read it again. It's just four paragraphs. Bear with me. And maybe I'll even pronounce some words correctly this time. Chez is a 1,452 square foot cottage that has survived three hurricanes, six owners, and the relentless march of bigger, newer, and more expensive since 1956. Originally built as a winter getaway for Chuck and Brenda Powell, the cottage passed through several hands before I bought it for a song from an old timer who didn't want it torn down and replaced with what he called a damn monstrosity. The house is a boxy structure that was completed before things like floodplains were part of city planning. That meant it didn't need to be built on a mountain of fill dirt. My home sat sedately at ground level, where all of Ilan had been back in the day. Each time one of these old cottages are demolished to make room for for a new three-story temple of success, which I love that phrasing, a three-story temple of success is awesome, the city loses more of its charm, at least in the way I define charm. Granted, I may be in the minority. I'd had the shingle roof replaced with a t- with tin a year ago, and the sound inside the house during rainstorms is magical. Some female guests of Chez Reggie find the sound of rain on tin roof to be an aphrodisiac, making me one of the few people in Elan who look forward to multi-day tropical storms. Unfortunately, the only sound inside my lonely home tonight was the sound of my pen scratching against a cannot pronounce it word notebook. So this scene actually begins with the only sound inside my lonely home tonight was the sound of my pen scratching against that cannot be named notebook. In this particular instance, because we already know what we already we need to know about Reggie's home, because these details don't pertain to what's about to come in this scene, everything above that final sentence is superfluous. It could be deleted. You could literally open the scene right there and lose nothing. You'd also have the advantage of not setting readers up to expect something that never arrives. So question, what if an opening like that feels too abrupt? Could we rework and pare down the house description so that it in some way connects to the action in the moment? And sure, I mean, it can be done. You've got to ask yourself, why? Why do I want to do it that way? Why am I choosing to use the house as the description Instead of something else. So, our goal is always to avoid anything that's going to feel like filler. So, if we take that scene and try and compress it, leaving in pretty much any of that detail is still going to feel like, why is it there? You know, and filler can be boring, right? We want it to be punchier. So, I want to side note this here again and say that. Figuring out how to structure scenes, like where they're supposed to start, what needs to be shown under what circumstances and when, that is just plain effing hard work. It is hard, okay? It, It feels like it should be easy, but sometimes figuring out how to structure a story is harder than actually writing it in many cases, like getting that right. Sometimes in order to do it, to figure out where the scenes are supposed to start, you have to write a lot of purposeless words. You're, you're writing them for yourself, though. You're getting, you're setting that stage. You're getting inside the character's heads, or as I often sometimes say, you're vomiting, word vomiting onto the page until you finally sort of hit, you click it, right? So there's, there's really absolutely nothing wrong with writing all this stuff out. And not only is it not wrong, sometimes, honestly, it's just flat out critical to the creative process. I write for every word that stays on the page, God, I must write at least 100 that never make it on. And it's not like, you know, I end up with a million word book and pare it down to 100,000 words or whatever. It's that they get deleted as I go. Sometimes I rewrite the same the same paragraph, fully rewrite it, like, you know, 12 dozen different ways before I finally go, oh, that's what I was really trying to say. The thing is that it's learning the craft. The craft of writing is the trick is learning what to cut as much as it is figuring out how to sling those words together. So being able to go back and go, oh, yeah, that really was didn't need to be there. That was me trying to figure this out and it just kind of still stayed there on the page. So returning to the main point of this, right? Every scene has to have a purpose that includes the description in the scene. So the issue here is what we have in this instance is not a case of too much description or too much detail or too little description or too little detail. It's purposeless description, purposeless detail because it doesn't pertain to the scene at hand. It's not directly related. It doesn't tie in. So the easiest way to fix it under the heading, how to fix it, easiest way to fix troublesome description or detail like this is to simply delete it. But if it was really that simple, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. So learning to spot it is a whole lot harder. And to do that, It means looking at it through the lens of what description's ultimate purpose is. And for that, we go back to episode 206 for reference. And that's where we discuss the ultimate purpose of description. And you can go back and listen to it again. But really briefly, the ultimate purpose of description is to provide the context and environment that your characters inhabit Mm -hmm. so that they aren't forced to exist in a spatial void. So when we look at these first three paragraphs through that lens, we see that not only are they purposeless in the sense that they're disconnected from the actual scene, they also fail to provide any context or environment. Like In spite of all those words about the house and the city, Reggie is still in a spatial void. Like He's somewhere in his house at night scrawling into his notebook, and that's all we know. We don't know if he's standing or sitting. We don't know if he's in the dark, dimly lit, or under a bright light. Is he at a desk and a sofa chair sitting at the kitchen counter? And it's not that we have to know all these things is that we don't know any of them. So the description in the opening paragraph, paragraphs in spite of their best attempt to, to scene set and do all that, it's still failing to give us what we really do need to know. So how do we fix it? How do we fix this opening? So let's assume for the sake of simplicity, that the sound of the rain against the metal roof is what Steve was going for. What he was intending to use is the tie-in to the sound of Reggie scrawling into his notebook. And I hope that was intentional because it was brilliant, really. Um, So let's use that same information, same information provided in the opening paragraph. um, And we're going to cut it way down with a few tweaks for continuity. Because, you know, we talked about, you know, could you salvage that material? And I'm like, I really think about it. So let's think, how can we, if we don't wanna have to rewrite this opening completely from scratch, and we just wanna use what's already there, how much do we cut it? And here's where I got. And the funny part about this is, I was working on this exactly when Steve binged me to say, hey, can we record early today? So I did this on the fly, so (laughs) I can't attest to how, how much quality is in here. I was like literally, Chatting with Steve and talking to him and trying to finish this up at the same time. So here's where I would go with this. Chez Reggie has survived three hurricanes, six owners, and the relentless march of bigger, newer, and more expensive. But she's not indestructible. And I'm sorry I called her a she because it just seemed to go that way. Last year, her roof had to be replaced, and so I swapped out shingles for tin. The sound inside during a rainstorm now is magical. Some female guests may or may not have been known to call it an aphrodisiac. Which makes me one of the few people in Elon who look forward to multi day tropical storms. Sadly, tonight is just me and my couch in the semi dark and, l- and the lonely sound of my pen scratching against a moleskin notebook. So almost all of it's gone, but we still have the housey thingy as the intro. And we kept the punchline about the rainstorm and the tin roof and the aphrodisiacs and then we gave a little bit more detail. So it's almost the same, him tonight, the lonely sound of his pen, but we threw in the couch and the semi-dark for detail and texture so we know where he is and what's around him. And that's it.
0: Now, can I just throw in something about throwing in extraneous details? Yes. Because I think you threw in an extraneous detail. Tell me. When, When you say... I was working on this when Steve pinged me to say, can we do this? So I just kind of threw it together and I didn't really have time to look at it. And it comes out that good. See, all of that other stuff, the preface was an extraneous detail. <laughs> you could just do it and we no. could say, wow, that was awesome. I and you don't, don't have to make me awesome. feel like, oh my gosh, he did that in four no. minutes. Okay, and first I heard of all. you typing while I was trying to work out some, some problem I was having with my microphone. I hear you pounding away on the keyboard but and you Steve, were probably most finishing it words. Mostly I know. I words. know. I'm, I'm, I'm making a joke. <laughs> no, I really liked, I, I really liked the way it wound up. I, I was afraid you were going to just like, do like a one sentence intro and then get into the writing stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like that, but I really liked this because you saved most of what I really liked about that section. And I really did like that section.
1: So I'm going to tell you, why I kept these particular pieces. I love the detail about the three hurricane six owners and relentless March of bigger, newer and more expensive because that right there encapsulates so much of the detail, extra detail that was included, who the owners were, how you bought it. um, The tearing down old houses, this encapsulates that without going into that detail. Right.
0: And it shows some of Reggie's character.
1: Yes, Um, that he replaced the roof and swapped out the shingles for tin. That is much more characterization and it gives the house character in a way that calling the other things monstrosities and that's my opinion. Other people might not agree with me. We can get rid of that because this is character. The other stuff is filler, right? And then I love the part about when you have that sensory detail of rain on a tin roof, that is, that's going to bring a place alive more than what year the house was built, for example. Right? So I, I pulled in and kept the stuff that was sensory rich and got rid of the stuff that was history, not that interesting. Now, under different circumstances, different structure, maybe that history would matter. And then it would be completely different. So I'm not saying that um, it didn't belong. I'm not saying that it shouldn't have been written, only that in this particular instance right now, in this particular story, with this particular plot, it didn't feel that it added anything to it and, in fact, slowed down the pacing, provided what didn't have a purpose. So as we look for this now, can we say, do these words that are here provide a purpose to the plot? Well, maybe not plot, 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 but definitely in terms of character, definitely in terms of story, and it moves quickly enough, and it gives us the texture that we need, and it moves quickly enough that we don't feel bogged down by it. Could we trim it down more? Yes. Could we trim it down more and keep the characters and the scenario as interesting as it is? Maybe. Is it okay the way it is now? Yes. Let's move on.
0: Okay, that was terrific. And I I do not feel completely eviscerated, so thank you for that. And I like... I like everything about this. You brought out some great points, some things that I should have noticed myself, but of course didn't because that's what happens when you write it yourself and you stare at it all the time. You don't see these things. And so that is our show for this week. So thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back in your ear again next Tuesday.
1: Yes, we will. Thank you for being here.